Greetings, friends. Let us prepare to listen as we study God's Word in our apprenticeship to Jesus. Let us ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate His Word as we begin our series entitled, A Generous Community. Beginning in Exodus 36 and moving into 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, we look at how generosity with one's finances is an aspect of discipleship to Jesus. Pastor Brian Broderson tells us that disciples of Jesus are called to a life of faithful, generous giving. And we give because we are thankful for our redemption, trusting in God's provision, and want to participate in Jesus' work through his church. So, as we have been told, um, we are going to begin this short series, short series in comparison to the 16 months that we just went through John. So this is gonna be a five-week series. And as, as you've heard, the, the title of our series is Generous Community. And so over the next five weeks, we'll be looking at a topic that we rarely talk about here at Calvary Chapel, or in, in some senses in any Calvary Chapel topic that we rarely discuss is the topic of giving and finances. And the fact that we rarely talk about money and giving needs some explanation. So I'm gonna to explain to you uh, why this has been the case. As some of you know, this church came into prominence under extraordinary circumstances. I say, I say came into prominence rather than, uh, you know, was birthed because the church existed um, from the early 1960s, but it was in the late 1960s that something extraordinary happened. And that extraordinary thing that happened was what we know today as the Jesus People Movement. And this place was really, in many senses, an epicenter. Uh, I, I would say an epicenter, maybe the epicenter of, certainly for the West Coast, this was the epicenter of that outpouring of the Spirit, which was unique at the time. And this, this outpouring of the Spirit led in turn to a unique financial and material blessing upon this ministry. Just to give you an example of the uniqueness of this blessing, it, it enabled us as a church to do all kinds of uh, amazing ministry. We, um, over the years, would, would purchase and operate um, centers, conference centers, here in the Southern California area. Uh, we had three conference centers. Now, most churches don't have any conference centers. They go to a conference center that's, that's owned by somebody, somebody else, usually like a denomination or something like that. So, so just to give you an idea 
of the kind of blessing. We, we ended up owning three conference centers. We, we still have two of them, um, but we did, as some of you know, we sold one. So three conference centers, um, international ministry facilities, various properties, numerous radio stations, the ability to pay cash for anything and everything we deem necessary for ministry, and a generosity based on Jesus' teaching that it is more blessed to give than to receive. So this church had experienced this extraordinary blessing. Now, in the midst of all of this abundance, and with a desire to push back against the God is broke and needs your help mentality that was expressed in many other ministries at the time. Calvary Chapel, through the influence of Pastor Chuck Smith, developed an aversion, an aversion to talking about money and church finances. This topic within Calvary Chapel has been taboo. And occasionally throughout our long history, you know, when, when a, a church that was part of the Calvary Chapel family would maybe decide that they were going to do like a capital campaign, they wanted to build a building, they were going to raise money and all of that, um, they were always frowned upon as no, 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 this is not what we do. Uh, this is not consistent with um, our, our philosophy of ministry. So, so that, that's kind of been our history in regard to, to finances and giving. The unintentional outcome of this, unintentional, the unintentional outcome would be the failure to teach the disciples' responsibility to give to the work of God in and through the church. You see, the reality is the Bible teaches that it is our responsibility as God's people to give to the work of his kingdom. That's how the work of the kingdom takes place. It takes place because the people of God uh, being excited about the things of God and wanting to see the work of God move forward, they give. And that is the kind of the background of what we, we read in uh, Exodus here this morning. That's what's happened. That, that's what happened then. So just right up front, we need to understand that... Uh, discipleship involves giving. We are called to be disciples of Jesus. We've talked much about discipleship over the past few years. We did that uh, series in 1 Corinthians that our, our theme for that was everyday discipleship. So we just need to understand that, that giving is part of discipleship. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. He said, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, 
shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Now, as I said, this this unintended um, passing by of the disciples' uh, responsibility to give and and the uh, aversion that, that developed was because so many um, ministries, particularly uh, television-type ministries, uh, would, would put so much emphasis on giving. And, and it, a lot of times it was just simply nothing less than begging. And in many cases, it was people begging for money and then uh, using the money for their own personal gain and, and the, those kinds of things, which are all obviously wrong. Uh, but, the, but the New Testament is clear, and here we see Jesus himself is calling us. He's, he's speaking to his disciples here in um, Luke chapter 6. The context is discipleship, and this is what he says, give and you will receive. Now, I want to focus, though, on... Paul's instruction to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, and we're going to look at chapter 8, a little bit of chapter 8, and a little bit of chapter 9. And these two chapters written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, these, I think, are the way that we today are to understand what giving is to look like among God's people. So the, the background for what Paul is going to say is the church in Jerusalem. Now remember, the Corinthians are Greeks. They're, they're in Greece. They're Gentiles. But the church in Jerusalem, the mother church, if you will, kind of the, you know, that's where it all began, right, has fallen upon really, really difficult times. And the apostle Paul has this burden to help the church in Jerusalem. And so what he's doing is he is collecting uh, an offering from the Gentile churches that he's going to go and ultimately present to um, the church in Jerusalem. And we find this as a sort of interwoven in, in Paul's writing, but the very specific instruction to these Gentile churches, specifically the Corinthians, is given to us here in the eighth chapter. So let, let's read Second um, Corinthians chapter eight from verse one and we'll go down uh, through verse nine. So here it says, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, there overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded 
our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God, also to us. And so we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made uh, a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Verse 7, listen. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete uh, diligence, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So you see what Paul's doing. He's speaking to the Corinthians, but he's, and the Corinthians have made a verbal commitment to giving, but they've now sort of been uh, reneging a little bit. Like, oh, well, we don't know. You know, back when we said we would do it, it, you know, things were going a lot better for us. Not sure if we're going to be able to follow through. So Paul uses the Macedonians, uh, a church, another church that they would be familiar with, and he shows that, um, well, look what the Macedonians did. The Macedonians actually are poor. They're poorer than you. But even in their poverty, they were generous. And not only did they do what they were able, but they went beyond their ability. And so he's really exhorting them, hey, follow through with the commitment that you made. But verse 7 is, is such a key thing. Notice what he says here. In verse 7, he says, excel in the grace of giving. And so this, this is where we see that giving is a, a component of our discipleship. Because he, he talks to them about the fact that they excel in their faith, they excel in knowledge, they excel in their speech, they excel in uh, love. And of course, these are all the things that we are to seek to grow in as disciples, right? We want to grow in our faith. We want to grow in our knowledge of the Lord. We want to grow in our ability to communicate the things of God. We want to grow in love. And, and so Paul says um, that we are to seek to grow in giving as well. So growing in giving is part of growing as a Christian. Now, I'm aware that some, no one here, of course, but, but some, upon hearing this kind of message, uh, would say something like, uh, God doesn't need my money. And you know, that is true. God does not need our money. But guess what? God wants your money. He doesn't need your money, but he wants your money because he knows your money wants you. 
You see, we rarely think in these terms, but scripture is full of this reality that money is one of the major idols in the history of the world. The love of money, Paul would say to Timothy, is a root of all kinds of evil. And it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. If you ever just, just forget, you know, the context of what I'm saying right now, but just if you just take that statement of Paul and think about all of the evil in the world, there's hardly any evil in the world that you cannot trace back to money. It, it's, it's incredible. It's driven by this. So, so this is a reality. And Jesus said, you cannot serve God and riches. The love of money, which is idolatry, is always looking to enslave us. The discipline of giving will keep us from that enslavement. You see, it's a discipline that we develop of giving that keeps us from falling into that enslavement of the love of money. So, here's a question. What, when we're, when we're talking about giving, what are we talking about? And what, like, amounts are we talking about giving? Well, in, again, back in the Exodus passage, if we, we, we kind of picked it up right at the end, but if we would have gone back a bit earlier, we would find that the people brought, they brought um, money itself that they had uh, saved. They brought uh, valuables and, um, you know, what, what they had that was valuable to them, that is what they brought. The people of Israel gathered up all their gold, their silver, their precious jewels uh, to give for the building of the sanctuary. Now, we have a New Testament example in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. We read about Barnabas. We read that Barnabas sold a piece of land and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So money, property, valuables, these are the things that were, were being given. So another question is, how much do I give? Or how much am I supposed to give? And this is where somewhat of a debate uh, comes up uh, the debate over tithing. So tithing, if, if you don't know what tithing is, tithe means tenth. So tithing is, means that you give a tenth of your income. And oftentimes in church you will hear the call, the invitation, um, we're going to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. So being, sometimes it's just the, the verbiage that we use without giving it a whole lot of thought. But you know, if we're really thinking about it, we're saying we're going we're gonna to receive a tenth, and then the offering is kind of like beyond the tenth. 
So, so here's the question. Are Christians obligated to tithe? Are Christians commanded to tithe, to give 10%? Now, some would, uh, some, the majority of pastors would say yes. Christians are supposed to tithe because, uh, after all, the, the Bible teaches it. And then they, somebody else might say, well, wait, I, I don't know, where do I see tithing in the New Testament? And they might acknowledge that we don't really see it much in the New Testament, but then they would often go back to the Old Testament. And they would often refer to the law. Well, the law taught that you were to give a tenth. And then somebody might say, yeah, but uh, Christians aren't under the law. And they would respond, well, yeah, that's true. But Abraham, who lived before the law, he gave a tenth. And Jacob, who lived before the law, he gave a tenth. So based upon um, Abraham and Jacob, and then added to what the prophet said, Christians are supposed to tithe. And most frequently, the passage in Malachi would be the one that would be um, brought, brought to bear on, on that question. So in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, this is what it says. The question is asked, God is speaking, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and test me and see, says the Lord. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. So this would be for many, um, added along with Abraham and, and Jacob, this would be for many the, the proof text that yes, Christians are uh, obligated to tithe. Right here, God says, you're robbing me by not tithing. Now, so if, when this uh, is presented, the, the command to tithe, uh, there's, there's different responses, I'm sure. Uh, some people are going to respond with, uh, they're going to respond joyously because, you know, I do that. So I feel really good about this. Other people are going to respond with more like condemnation because uh, I, I don't do this. Some people are going to just be irritated, incensed. How dare them say, those people at the church, oh, the church just wants your money. That's all, that, that's all religion is about. They just want our money. So there's going to be different reactions to um, the idea that, that the tithe is a command. Now, I personally, and I'm probably the minority in, when it comes to this, uh, I do not believe that the New Testament commands us to tithe. The New Testament does mention tithing, but it mentions tithing only in the Gospels, which are still historically Old Testament in a sense. You know, until Jesus dies and rises again from the dead, and the Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost and so forth, we're, we're kind of still in the Old Testament period. 
And so, yes, of course, we have references to tithing in the Gospels because they're in a, a, a Jewish context. And the Jewish people did, and Jesus references the fact that they did, and, or, or in some cases did not. But when you go beyond the Gospels, there's no place where you find the command to tithe. What you find rather is the call to faithful, generous giving. That's what you find in the New Testament. It's an appeal. Sort of going back to what was taking place when they were constructing the, the sanctuary. It's an appeal to God's people based on God's goodness. It's an appeal to give, to be part of what God is doing. And so in the ninth chapter of 2 Corinthians, in verse 6, Paul, we already read what, what Paul said uh, to the Corinthians and how he used the Macedonians to kind of provoke them. But then he goes on and he gives instruction about what this giving is to look like. And so uh, listen to what he says. He says, know this, verse 6, Know this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, sowing and reaping, that is language that we might know if we've been Christians a while and we studied the Bible. But if we haven't, we will like, sowing and reaping, what does that mean? Well, Paul's using agricultural analogy. Sowing is planting the seed. Reaping, of course, is harvesting the crop once the seed uh, has come to uh, full bloom. And so he uses this picture in giving. If you sow sparingly, that means if you just scatter a little bit of seed, your harvest is going to be small. But if you sow generously, you're going to reap a generous harvest. And then he goes on and he says this. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. See, I, I love this. And, and again, I have occasional debates, even with friends of mine, about this, this topic. You know, we're on the radio and somebody asks about tithing and my good friend Tony Clark uh, who is uh, a walking Bible in uh, concordance. <laughs> you know, he's just going to go right down the line and give you all the reasons why you are to tithe. And then I'm going to have to say, well, Tony, yes, that's great, but um, let, let's look at it from, from this perspective. So I, I, I look at what Paul says here, and I think that this is really... The, this is what we have in the New Testament. There's not much more 
stated in the New Testament about this. Uh, to the Corinthians, again, Paul will say at another point, he will say, he will give them instruction on when to do this. He says, on the first day of the week, when you're gathered together, let everybody put something aside. So he kind of gives us, they gathered on the first day of the week, like we are doing today. So he said, that's, that's the time to do it. But just the idea of, of this call to uh, faithful, generous giving. And this is an important point that I think we all need to see clearly. Each of you should give what you decide in your heart to give. So here's the principle. The principle is if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you sow abundantly, you will reap generously. If you sow generously, you'll reap generously. So it's up to you. You decide on the amount that you're going to give. So you might decide that you're going to give 10%. You might decide, oh, I'm going to give 20%. You might decide, well, you know, I, I can only give 5% or 3% or something like that. So Paul lays out the principle. Sow sparingly, reap sparingly, sow generously, reap generously. You decide what you're going to give and then give not reluctantly or under compulsion, but give cheerfully. So why do we give? We give for the same reasons the children of Israel gave. Now think of the children of Israel. Where are they when this is all going on? They're in the wilderness, they're in the desert. Where were they? They were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. They were in bondage in Egypt. So they gave, first of all, out of gratitude for what God had done in redeeming them from slavery. Secondly, they gave out of thankfulness for God's present provision in sustaining them in the wilderness. And if you read Exodus, this is where uh, Moses uh, strikes the rock and water comes out of the rock. And this is where God rains down bread from heaven, the manna from heaven. And we see this amazing provision of God for the people in the wilderness. And so they're giving out of thanksgiving for that. But then thirdly, they are giving out of a commitment to the ongoing work of God carried out through the building of the tabernacle. So they want to be part of what God is doing. And this tabernacle, this is the thing God is doing. And so I would say likewise, we give out of gratitude, first and foremost, for our salvation. Look, I, I was in slavery like the Israelites. We were bound up in sin and Christ came and set us free. He redeemed us. He purchased us and he did that at a great cost, the cost of his own blood. And we are thankful for God's faithful care and provision. Has God provided for you? Has God carried you through life? Is he with you today? Yes, of course he is. 
And he is taking care of you. And we give because we believe in the ongoing work of the gospel and want to participate in it. Just like they were giving with the end of the, the uh, tabernacle being erected and so the worship of Yahweh could, could then be in their midst. So we give because we believe that the gospel is indeed the power of God to salvation. We want to see the gospel go as far and wide throughout the world as it can, starting right here in our own community. And we give to that end. You know, the problem in most churches is not the amount people give. The problem is the fact that most people never or rarely give. That's across the board. Most people never give or rarely give. And I would just say this to us. Let's not be a church where a small percentage of the people bear the financial burden of the ministry. I mean, just think about that for a moment, personally. You come here, you get blessed, you get ministered to, you get strengthened, you, there are all different kinds of things that you can engage in here. And, and if you do that week after week, month after month, year after year, but you never make a contribution, how does all of this even go on? It goes on because somebody's making a contribution. But if you're not, part of that somebody, then it just, that just doesn't, I don't know, with me, that just doesn't seem right. I, I wouldn't want to do that. You know, it's like David, when David was wanting to build the temple, he was looking for a place to build the temple, and he found this threshing floor. It was owned by this man, Aruna. And, and David goes to Aruna and he says, I want to buy your threshing floor. I want to buy it because it's, this is the place. I want, to, I want to put the temple. And Aruna says to David, he says, well, you're the king. You know what? Hey, just take the property. Just, you, you can have it. David says, I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. <laughs> That's a great attitude David had. He said, No. He could have taken it. He's the king, and the guy's offering it. But he says, no, I'm not going to take it. I'm going to pay you full price for it because I'm doing this for the Lord. And when we're giving, that's what we're doing. We're giving to the Lord. So rather than a church that just a small percentage of the people bear the financial burden, let's be a generous community where everyone does their part as they are able and like the Macedonians that Paul mentioned, to go even beyond what we are able, giving sacrificially in faith, knowing that God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times you have all you need. You know, this is a reality. And again, because of our historical aversion to talking about 
finances. We, we rarely bring this kind of stuff up. But, but it is a real thing that, and, and Jesus said it, um, if you give, it will be given back to you. But the truth is, if you don't give, it won't be given back to you. And sometimes, rather than trusting God for our provision, we're saying, well, no, I need this. I got to hold on to this because, you know, if I give this away, then what's going to happen here? And, and yet we find that even though we're, we're holding on to it, even though we're, we're not going to part with it, we're going deeper and deeper into a financial pit because we are actually not believing that God is the one who takes care of us and who provides for us. That's, if, if, if we're thinking that way, then we're thinking unlike a disciple. We're thinking unlike a, a true believer because a true believer says, God saved me and he's taking care of me. That's what he says all throughout his word. And, and I'm putting my faith and my trust in that. So as we close this morning, let me read you once again that wonderful ninth verse of chapter 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And then at the end of all this, Paul says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And here we are this morning talking about giving. And we have before us the bread and the cup that remind us of the sacrificial giving of our Savior himself. If it were not for our God being a giving God, we would not be here. We would not be saved. It's because he gave of himself. And in giving of himself, among other things, he has set an example for how we are to live as well. We're to live sacrificially. We're to give generously so that others ultimately can come and be part of this beautiful salvation, this kingdom life that Christ has secured for us through his body and his blood. So, Lord, we thank you for your generosity and as we understand that this is your very nature and we are now your children help us to be truly a generous community and as we share today together around this table the bread that speaks of your body that you gave and the cup that speaks of your blood that you shed Lord, may we find the bread and the cup moving us toward sacrifice and generosity. We pray, Lord, that you would meet us here this morning.
as we share together in the bread and the cup. We pray that you would speak to our hearts. Speak to us, Lord, about your great love and about your calling upon our lives to imitate you. We pray in your name.